This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Welcome to episode 81 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking like he's in Santa's grotto with his fire raging behind him, indicating that it is a bit of a chilly day. We have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Well, thank you for that warm welcome. And warm in orange, dare I say, over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. I've gone slightly psychedelic today. Pink and orange, wibbly wobbly, 70 stripes. Very you. Very <laughs> me. And we are so excited to finally welcome back one of the busiest men in horticulture, the curator of RHS Garden Wisley and the author of a new book, Matt Pottage. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me back. I have forgotten your middle name. Um, I should have checked. Oh, I forgot we do middle names on this podcast. George. George. Matthew George Pottage or Pottage. How formal. <laughs> <laughs> I like Pottage, but I'm from Hull, not from France, so it's normally Pottage. But Pottage will, will do nicely today. Matthew Alan... Pottage. I mean, we can go fully French. Uh, it, fe- it all feels very grand and proper looking at Alan in his uh, stately home there with a fire roaring in the background. So <laughs> it's a much nicer, it's a much more uh, fitting and there's a lot of gravitas going on around you, Alan, whereas behind me, I'm in my office at Wisley, which is a magnolia wall and some plastic trunking. And a socket. Uh, <laughs> and a socket, which I'm trying to cover with my arm. It's very strange you say that because a visitor, um, a, there was a family, um, mum, dad and two children on Sunday in the garden visiting. Um, and the father came up to me and whispered very surreptitiously. He said, your garden is absolutely fabulous. Um, my wife was wondering if you do guided tours of the inside of your house, because that would be equally fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be interested to know, do you? (laughs) I've been after a guided tour of his wardrobe for about 12 years. That would be fascinating too. Yeah, I think both of the above, please. Let me know when they're going to start. (laughs) We'll both be booked up. Um, Now, Matt, um, we've obviously, you know, we could talk about plants for hours, but we must give a little bit of time to talking about your new book, How to Garden When You Rent, which um, I was really interested to read because, well, first of all, I just absolutely love everything you do in your own garden at home, which is obviously where the inspiration came from. Um, But also... I think a lot of people, you, we, we do even if you don't rent, you end up gardening a bit like you rent. <laughs> mm. So it's, it's really interesting to get your hands on a book with that as the concept. Um, I assume it did come from the fact that you have rented and gone through this yourself. It did, absolutely. And Dole and Kindersley, when they first got in touch with me, they, one of the first things they just sense checked was very politely, do you really rent? Is that really a rental garden? Have you really done all that in a rental garden? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not just barefaced lying on my Instagram every time I post a picture of this. Uh, So they were, you know, they were quite, that's where they originally picked it up. And I think they were quite taken with that. And for me, it was an opportunity to be able to share my thought process, which I think has been a lot of thought processes, I'm sure, for lots of renters. That whole, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. This isn't mine. There is no point. 
not it's going to be my money spent in someone else's space. It's just easier to do nothing. And one day I'll have my own garden. So, I mean, of course, I've always been gardening and I love gardening, but I was kind of thinking, you know, if we've got people who are renting for 10, 20 years, especially in the southeast of London, where it's hard to, hard to you know, get to the property ladder, that's so many years of gardening, goodness, well-being, physical and mental ex- you know, exercise, good stuff for, your, for you and your body that they're missing out on, simply because a lot of people think, I'll start gardening when I can afford a garden when I get there. And I'm just thinking how much enjoyment, well-being, you know, good feel-good factor I've had and still get from my little rental garden in Fulham. So it was, I kind of thought, oh, it could be an opportunity to, you know, to share some of that. Yeah, and and how to sort of triumph with containers and how to choose your climbers and even sort of the because another thing is how much money you can end up spending if you don't have ground to plant into and you've got to buy all your containers and as well as buying your plants and your compost and all these things it becomes really expensive I loved um how you didn't you cut up a fleece and put it in a crate uh, to turn it into a planter yeah 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 an old packing crate which the compost would have fallen through and it was an old jumper just (laughs) cut up and I, I kind of wanted it to I wanted lots of prettiness in it I mean I really value prettiness in a garden space to put it very basically you know a a space for me I'm going to get enjoyment and well-being from it if it looks beautiful so happy to do upcycling you reuse an old jumper to line something I'm not quite going down you know the plant an old toilet pan or (laughs) you know an old (laughs) you know milk bottles with bedding plants and I'm not and there's nothing wrong with that of course that that does that excites some people and that's that's good too but I kind of wanted a bit of a middle ground and with containers, you know, to to showcase and to highlight some really slow-growing evergreens that give you structure year-round that you can take with you when you move that will happily sit in a pot for 10 years rather than maybe spending more money on shorter-lived plants or plants that grow very quick become pot-bound quickly and then are a problem. So, yeah, there is a big emphasis on containers, as you can imagine. I imagine it must have been really hard for you to do this book because it's, it is aimed at the beginner, and yet your garden is such an advanced rental garden and it's a long time since you began your gardening journey. Was that in itself a bit tricky? It, it was a little bit, for sure. And, and you know what? I, start, I kept casting my mind back to thinking when I was starting out in my gardening journey, you know, because I don't say do lots of seed sowing of annuals anymore. It's just not something I've got space for. I like that, but I don't have space for it. But just casting my mind back to when I started gardening, when I was younger, I had less uh, money. And it's just a really good, quick, easy way to raise plants from seed. So, yeah, I did go back to some of those basics. But also talking with friends that are renting properties in London and aren't experienced gardeners. Some of them aren't in gardening at all. A couple of good friends of ours in Fulham who, you know, neither of them are in the horticultural industry, but they have a small garden and just seeing what they'd done, how they'd approached it, what they'd stumbled with. And, you know, this, the, some of the plant selections and some of the plant um, mentions in the book, I think are quite relevant because people end up going to the nearest, unfortunately, you know, the nearest DIY store or sometimes just what's out the front of the local convenience store. And certainly around me in Fulham, it's loads of box. So people run straight into box blight and box caterpillar issues uh, or, you know, little miniature roses, which, you know, they don't give a good long-term performance. 
or jasmine polyanthemum sold as a as a house plant and then if it's planted out in london and completely left it gets enormous and overwhelms everything so you see this these few handfuls of plants that appear everywhere uh and then small trees you know I, i've been really keen to say in the book you know always a tree for every space even the smallest spaces slow growing well-behaved trees but normally what people end up with in in London, especially, they go and buy a standard bay, they plant it in the ground. And as you guys know, Loris Nobilis, the straight culinary bay, gets enormous with a free route run, especially in miles central London. So again, loads of gardens being taken over by huge bay trees. So just trying to trumpet and champion some of the slower growing, well-behaved trees like Luma apiculata, the uh, lovely Chilean myrtle or, or Arbutus, some of the strawberry trees. Because the other thing here, which I'm also very keen to, to get on people's radars, is obviously all the well-being and the goodness of, for the individual doing some gardening. But if you have a little bit of an outdoor space, you know, we all know about the climate crisis. If you've got some outdoor space you know, and it's your gift to do something with it, we all need to be doing something with it. Just if it is planting one tree, growing some plants, if you're providing some kind of ecosystem service, some nectar for bees, somewhere for a bird to nest, somewhere for rainwater to soak into if everything's paved and you've got lots of containers. So, you know, storm rain is running just straight down the drain. So kind of a bit of a, a responsibility there, but not too heavy to overwhelm people. The, the book's not preachy at all, but <laughs> to hopefully get people to think, hang on, if I've got a bit of a green space, maybe I could be doing something to support the planet. Matt, this book for me brought back memories of when, uh, when we lived in London um, in Marylebone, and we had had a, um, I don't know, lower ground floor flat, I think you'd call it. Um, in actual fact, I put in French doors in the uh, at the back because I could walk out then into this little yard. Yeah. And this little yard is very much like your little yard, and it, I made a garden there. And I wish this book had been available then because the ideas that you have in this book are absolutely fantastic. Now, first of all, I'd just like to say this is not a book, a book just for small gardens for i mean the, the ideas in this book i think are actually absolutely cracking good good ideas um they can be scaled up they can be used in any kind of gardening especially um in areas which are closer to your house um you know mm. if you've got a large i mean i've got a large garden but most of it is sort of like miles away you know what i mean <laughs> but that little area close to the house and the other thing, I'm outside my kitchen in the house here, I've got a, a little courtyard, which is quite shady um, for most of the year. And I've got lots of ideas from, from this book. And I have to say, I loved your little bit about cracks and crevices. I don't know whether you called it cracks and crevices, but... You know, <laughs> I think so, but I it, think they I'm, are cracks I'm, and crevices. I think you're planting things like Leptinella, that lovely little mm. ferny leaf thing that creeps along um, and will run between the cracks of paving stones. And Pratia pedunculata, that lovely little blue star. I just love things like that. Um, and the other thing that I'm, I want to try, whether I can do it or not, I don't know, but I want to try vertical gardening. Mm. Uh, this is a relatively new phenomenon, I suppose. Probably has been around for about the last 20 years. Um, uh, yeah. Not commonly known or, not, or commonly used. There's, some, there's one or two big um, projects in central London. There's one on Piccadilly, I know, um, and probably you know of lots of others. But I, that, the idea of vertical gardening is a little, or a living wall, perhaps, shall we say, is absolutely fascinating to me. And I just love the idea of that. Yeah, and I, I thought, hang on, we, we need to feature a little living wall because I feel now it's at the point where 
you can buy it affordably. You can buy it easily to put together at home. It doesn't need a complex watering system. They have these little reservoirs. And as that one shows in the book, it was, I mean, I'm, I am a gardener, but I'm not the most practical of people. I just about own a drill and know how to use it. And I could <laughs> easily put that together, put it up on the wall, plant it up. And again, sometimes when you're in small, awkward spaces, the other excuse and the other thing that, well, it's not an excuse. You can easily understand why people say this is that, you know, their, their garden is an awkward shape or it's, it's, there's no real floor space or it's all paved or it's a space for the bins or it's shared with a neighbor and they need to be able to push their pram and their bikes through all these kind of things are real life. But usually there's a wall or a decent fence or somewhere and I mean, you can do them just blocks of one thing, but you can also get quite a bit of diversity in there. And the one in the book, I've got a few different wacky ivy cultivars and, of course, something variegated. I've got a pink variegated Tradescantia in there, which really stands out against the ivies. Oh, is but, that yeah, a splash? Uh, it's one called Nanook, a Japanese oh, right. cultivar, I think. I got Maiden Splash, and unbelievably, I saw that you'd got a very good variegated um, Tradescantia in your garden, and Maiden's Blush in the garden here is now hardy. Yeah. The, it gets cut, the top dies back, but it comes back from the root every year. It has done, for, well, for the last five years, so probably not hardy, hardy, if you see what I mean. Yeah. The, but, the, the idea of a hanging wall, I would like to translate it into a herb garden and mm. have it just outside the kitchen door because that would just be so useful. Perfect, exactly. And I think as long as you get, you know, you either liquid feed or, you, you know, yeah. you're good at putting in some slow-release fertilizer because obviously it's a very limited root run, you, you, things will grow in there for, you know, as long as you can look after them. It, yeah, well, I think, I think with herbs, for instance, you could renew them every year if you, ne mm. if you needed to. I mean, you could yeah. take the old plants out, cut them back. You know, I'm thinking of thymes and plants like that. Yeah. You know, saw them in half. You've got two plants for the price of one or you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, you can yeah. rejuvenate them, and and it's it's also very good for plants. I mean, for tucking a few seeds in, like parsley or chervil or um, totally, yeah, coriander, which people either seem to love or hate. Yeah, it's totally that. And and with that one in the book, actually, I just it's nice to mention. So that was in Amy's garden. She was one of the editors of the book, and she lives over in Putney. I'm sure she won't mind me saying. And uh, she said, I like the idea of this green wall. Can you can we do the photo shoot in my garden? And, and, you know, she bought it all and I put it all together and we photographed it there. And she messaged me the other day to say, because it's tiny space, there's no other greenery around there. And she messaged me to say there's now a wren nesting in it, oh, which is adorable. And it's tiny. I mean, it's, it's about a metre by three metres. It's obviously now a complete mass of ivy and tradiscantia. And there's little wrens nesting, which I just thought, it's brilliant. I mean, as soon as you've got plants, you're going to have wildlife and nature following. And, uh, and they love it. You know, she really loves yeah. having this little green wall. It's easy to look after. It's easy to fill up the reservoirs on it. And then it almost looks after itself. Nothing more complimentary, I think, than a bird nesting in your garden. I mean, uh, uh, sitting in the room here, there's a, just outside the window is a robin's nest. And I saw it arriving the other day with with feathers in its nest. So it's getting it's, oh. it's now lining the nest with the, the actual straw or grassy nest with with um, feathers. So I th think it's fascinating. My dogs love it. They watch this come and go, and they. No, they're nice to see, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, um, you know, absolutely. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm always being. Um, sort of trolled slightly by the other half because I have the most ridiculous rosemary which really you know any normal person would get rid of it because it's got old and it's sort of splaying a bit and it's, it's not very personality it has personality that's what I say it has personality but also 
I see it from where I sit at the kitchen table and I watch all of the sparrows, the robin and all the little birds, the blue tits, all in amidst, because it's a bit splayed, you can see them moving around a little bit and they love it and they hop from that into the acer and then across to the bird feeder and there's no way I'm ever getting rid of it, even though it's probably past its best. But we can't get rid of everything when it's past its best. <laughs> no, and actually, you know, in the book I do say, if you've got plants in the garden, just try and, because there's apps to identify things now, try and identify it, try and see what it is, rather than just going in with a, everything needs to come out because sometimes you know things are decent in mental gardens but they've just been mismanaged before just because something might be a bit old or look a bit characterful i like that word on that's a very good description for a, <laughs> a spindly old rosemary but they can still bring loads of enjoyment uh, yeah. as yours one as your one you know does yeah. to you thought there are certain plants that you probably would warn people off i, I think um i remember particularly um fallopia the, uh, yeah. the raging, raging vine um, that that runs everywhere. It roots as it goes almost, and it becomes a huge nuisance. But there were there were two bungalows in a street that I used to regularly drive through, and they divided their they had a fence between each. And on one side they, they had the mile a minute vine, fallopia, and it was the most immaculately kept fence that I've ever seen and I was fascinated about this and one day I stopped and I asked the gentleman who's in that house I said how do you manage to keep this looking so fantastic and he said well I cut it every week <laughs> so then, there is a labor of love but it can be done if that's your bag the other thing is on the other side there was a clematis montana and it was growing on this fence no more than about a meter tall um, and it went probably I don't know 90 feet um it was huge. I don't know how many plants there were, but and that too was kept very tight as a, as a hedge. And every wow. year it flared its head off. It wow. can be done. Can but, be done. Uh, yeah, there is a section that I, I think it's, I call it something like plants to avoid or, or something along those lines. Because, you know, in like a small urban garden or a rental garden, things like willows, poplars, eucalyptus, the mile a minute vine, there are just a handful of things that you just think, you know, unless you're pruning it every week, as Alan just said, <laughs> just it's just not going to, it's just not a good contender. But that mile a minute vine, you can pick it up quite easily in a lot of garden centres. And my goodness, does it have some bigger? It's uh, yeah. yeah. Talk about plant with caution. <laughs> The, um, the idea of a living wall, I've always wanted to try and I have always been frightened off, particularly because I've been concerned that to get a good starting structure would be really expensive. But are we now getting to the point where it's not just the sort of rubbish ones that are affordable or is it mm. a bit of a, an outlay? Well, it was. I mean, it's not like it's not as it's not like 30 quid like those bag things that yeah. you hang on the wall. Uh, we're talking uh, of a. a 150 pounds or yeah. something but uh for this this one in the book but the other thing is composite recycled plastic it's going to last it slots on the wall you can take it off the wall so i mean you could if you know if i guess if you look after it and it's not bashed up there's no reason why you couldn't get 20 30 years out of it maybe more it's really decent solid uh structure and for me, I was thinking, well, you know, when we do eventually buy our own place, if I've got some wall space, because I've got loads of small succulents and also loads of small ferns, I want to have one in sun and one in shade because I've got so many small plants and I probably won't have a big garden when we do buy. So there won't be loads of space for pots. So it's a brilliant way of getting a lot of diversity into a small space. Uh, 
So I'm, I, you know, I will actually be buying more and I think it'd be a good investment. Yeah. Yeah. You've given me a lot of inspiration there. I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> Exciting, <laughs> Exciting times. I mean, you know, of course, the other thing, mean, if I add up all the price, because I like terracotta pots, you know, all the price of the pots, some of the ceramic pots, every time there's a storm, some blow over, some smash, you know, you end up getting through a bit of money. And a green wall is fixed to the wall. It's not going to go anywhere. So, and, and pots cracking. So I'm sure that would soon add up. It's just that one initial outlet. I think the other thing is that, you know, we all sort of have this thing about our, our pots must be aesthetically pleasing, shall we say. Um, but there are lots of containers that you can utilise. I mean, you, if you take a take one of those buckets that you buy fertiliser in, for instance, I mean, take the lid off that, take the handle off it and paint it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, put some holes in the bottom first, obviously, but paint it, but mix your colours as you go and just sludge them together. Become an artist, if you like, <laughs> uh, whether yeah. you've got the greys or the greens or the blues or whatever you want. But I mean, just do that. Yeah. Um, as soon as the container starts to soften the edges, with the plants start to soften the edges of the containers, you won't see that container. No. We have big, expensive pots planted in the summer um, for summer colour with annuals and tender perennials. And I've often said to Graham, you know, why do we have these expensive pots? Because we could have a, a metal barrel with the top cut off and just painted it a street colour because by halfway through the season, you don't see it. It's gone. It's yeah. covered. Yeah, exactly. And at the, I talk about staggered pot displays, you know, obviously larger plants at the back, smaller plants coming forward. And in my own garden in Fulham, the big plants at the back along the fence, they are just in black nursery stock basic pots because you can't see them there's other things around them so you know don't you don't need to pay 150 pounds for a lovely pot if it's going to disappear at the back of a display uh well the other really good i'm sure you have them at uh, east ruston allen you know whiskey barrels you know the half barrels the oak <laughs> barrels but i'm not saying you drink a lot of whiskey i'm just imagining oh, you might no, have thank you. <laughs> but maybe you do maybe you do have your own uh <laughs> what you actually do have, Alan, are containers that look like they're great big kind of leaden containers or metal containers, but they're yeah, yeah. yeah, they're actually made of fiberglass because, fib- yeah. you know, with the increased amount of wind and the, the, the we grow large um, brugmanses in pots and large selenums in pots for the summer. And if you've got a, pl- a pot that's narrower at the base, it will blow over. And if they're terracotta mm. and they're expensive, it hurts. It um, does. So it does. I thought, you know, get something that's... As, well, square, wide at the base, um, so that it won't blow over. And I found this source, um, they're at the Chelsea Flower Show, actually, Capital Gardens pro- products. I don't know whether you know see them, but yeah, they do these yeah. imitation lead planters, and they are really, really good. Um, and I, it's, it's interesting because you see people going up, visitors, going up to them, tapping the sides, <laughs> and then they shake their head, no, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> They're too right it's not, because you see the price tag on the real ones, and they do blow over, as as you say. They only need to blow over once, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've learned so much already, Um, and anyone who saw that we were joining you at uh, at Wisley in your office and worried, oh no, he's not going to be able to do the fabulous show and tell that we had last time, because if you haven't seen Matt's first appearance we were in your wonderful rented home and we got a lovely little tour we got a look out the window it might have even been snowing and we got a look at some of your your house plants which was I mean there was a wonderful amount of snoop factor but also well, I, yeah well, I mean know. I couldn't help it I went back and had another look and I'm, and I'm seeing I'm seeing plants like begonia rex outside all the year round I'm seeing mm. plants like clibias outside all the year round and I'm yeah. thinking 
hey, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do have a wonderful array of things in your courtyard, but you do have some interesting plants with you nonetheless for show and tell. I do, I do. now, where shall I start? I think, I think gonna... my favourite thing is yes. when a guest says, where do I start? And looks around. <laughs> oh, I know. And I put a few around me and I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, <laughs> all right, I'm going to move some large pine cones. I have these Pinus Coulteri cones. They're fabulous. Wow. They're off the tree at Wisley, the uh, Widowmaker Pine, it's called. Yes, I'm not, I'm not surprised you get one Any, of them up top your head. Exactly. You don't need me to explain that thing to you. Uh, so... One beauty here, this is Sansevieria Bantel Sensation, which is the white variegated mother of all That is nice, a real showstopper. Lovely, nice white stripy leaves. Absolutely huge thing. So it stands well over a metre tall. <laughs> How old is that? I must have had that about 15 years. It's How slow growing, as you can imagine, but... Uh, you often see the yellow variegated ones around a bit, but the white variegated one is is less so, and it's not as vigorous. It is slow. One of my favourite aloes is here. This is a bit easier to handle. This is aloe erinacea, which has a lovely white spine with a dark brown tip to it. And and it's very kind of silvery. I know you like a silver plant. <laughs> I do. It's so, I mean, when you see them in full sun, they almost look white. It's, that, it's lovely silvery. Absolutely lovely. A very pretty aloe. Uh, this next thing is a bit of a marmite. There's some, some visitors to my office go, ah, when, when they see this. Um, it's a very good <laughs> African violet. Not for the faint-hearted, is it? I'm not sure anyone's ever brought an African violet along. I'm really pleased that you have. And well, a I, have to, I have to confess that I have a liking for African violet. I don't oh, have right. any. I don't have any for fear of being called an old granny. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that on, on north and uh, east facing windowsills, they make fantastic houseplants. They, they really do. It's always in flower. I mean, I grow this for the foliage because I like variegated plants, as you know, yeah. and the foliage is pretty. And I'm often picking off the flowers, but it's always flowering. It's just constant. Amazing. Uh, and so, I'll, anyway. tell you one thing. I'll tell you something, Matt, when you hold a plant up like that, I mean, we tend to think of African violets as tiny little rosettes, one little rosette or two in a pot, if you like. But you've got one there, one there that's several years old and could be divided should you wish to. But mm. it has now it's like thunder's rosemary. It's got character because yeah. it's not that little dumpy, dumpy thing, is it? No, I know. because so You buy them as a little dumpy rosette. Yep. And of course, on this, I think I must have had this about, I don't know, at least 10 years. There's several heads to it. Yeah. And it's quite a grisly, monstrous thing, but it's characterful. Yes, it is. Most people must have a kind of, I, I think of my mum having African violets when I was little. And so I, I, I keep sort of thinking about getting, uh, getting one or two um, because they have that sort of sentimental value. And also, if, you know, variegated isn't your bag, some of the... Um, some of the cultivars now, it's like a double flowered green one, a lovely green, limey green flowered one with a double flower. I mean, it's stunning. And the doubles and some of the, the colour variants that have been bred. Uh, the the, 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 the colour range has increased tremendously, hasn't it? Has loads. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the African violet was a bit of a warm up for what's coming next. <laughs> it is not a bottle of Marmite, is it? Oh, well, it may as well be, Alan. Uh, <laughs> 
that Zyga Cactus Trunclatus? Uh, it's Schlumbergia. Oh, Schlumbergia. It, yeah, it's basically a Christmas cactus, and it's one called, the name's quite uncreative, Norris variegated, basically the variegated form of, of Norris, which is one of the red, ready-flowered ones. So when this is in flower, against these leaves, you can imagine it's really like, put your sunglasses on. It also looks, it's like a big wig. It's like yeah. this great big hairdo. <laughs> that works, doesn't it? I shall expect to see that at the Chelsea Flower yeah. Show. <laughs> I, think I, can, I think I can pull it off, don't you? It's like it's got little blonde highlights through your hair. I know. Isn't it ridiculous? It's absolutely bonkers. I mean, it's just so interesting because you never see it. You, you don't. Uh, there's probably a good reason why. No, it's very, it, it is very rare in cultivation. It, Stephen Lacey gave it to me. I can't remember how he described it. It was rude. And, you know, he... What did he say? He basically acknowledged it was rare and he shouldn't bin it. Someone had given it to him and he said, oh, you should have this, have this, take this thing from me. Uh, and obviously I think it's fantastic, but it, oh, it's a good conversation starter whenever a planter yeah. person comes into the office. <laughs> As such a, a sort of famous fan of variegation, do you find that sort of thing happening a lot that people want to either get rid of a variegated plant they don't want or they're just sort of gifting you stuff they think is outrageous? You know what? It's, it's, it used to happen more, but less so now. And I think it's because it's something with houseplants. People are getting more into variegated ones, but also they're realising they, they can make money from them. You yeah. sell, put them on eBay. So it's not happening so much. I mean, that Schlumbergia, when I posted a picture of that on Instagram, I got several direct messages, actually all from people in Japan, offering me money for cuttings or the plant and you know i i don't have time to work out how to post things to japan if they were a bit more local i would have happily put some cuttings in the post because it's nice to show yeah exactly uh, but i was just it never occurred to me that somebody would want cuttings off it uh, my next thing is not variegated just in case everyone thinks i only have variegated plants this is the crested form of the hare's foot fern so it, it's Flabodium aureum, which everyone knows the hairsfoot fern, and it's a, a cultivar called Davana, D-A-V-A-N-A. -A -A. It looks like curled parsley. That it's is fabulous. absolutely astonishing. I am almost speechless. Um, cool, everybody right? needs this plant. <laughs> Thunder, that'll never happen. <laughs> yeah, la complete lack of words never, never happens. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Flabodium is, is just... Super fantastic. I mean, it looked just ah, can't envy. So my my office is north facing here. I've got two quite big windows north facing, and it's really happy. So there's not much direct light at all, and it's very dull in the winter. But it's it's good. It's huge. Oh, I love how it's um all of its fronds waft around as well. I know. I'm just trying to show the full scale of it. There we go. It is huge. <laughs> It's ridiculous how many plants I've got in the office. It really is. Well, we'd be disappointed if you didn't. Yes, you would. Yeah, of course. I know. Wow, uh, that one. I think that's got just shot onto everyone's Flomo list. I hope so. It's one that is appearing a little bit more in houseplant. You know, if you go to a good garden centre with a big houseplant section, you do see it a little, you know, a, a popping up a bit. I've, I've had that for a few years, as you can see. And it was a mission to get it when I did, but it is a, it is appearing about a bit more now. 
Isn't it strange how something like the pandemic has started people's interest, not just in gardening, but particularly in houseplants. And suddenly, you know, the people that produce these houseplants, they're thinking, hang on a minute. What was that thing we used to grow? We still got one kicking around. Propagate that. <laughs> it's unusual. Yeah. It will go to a new generation of people and suddenly it's out there again. I know. I know. Suddenly it's big. And you can imagine some of these things that are popular now, perhaps, you know, they were, well, they were big in the 70s because you sometimes see them in old houseplant books. And then suddenly, yeah. you know, everyone's going gaga for them yeah. again. And it's such a gift that a lot of them, not all, but a lot are really easy to propagate. I mean, uh, you're talking about the Tradescantias earlier. Well, after I saw your wonderful use of them and then also seeing them at Allen's outside, I've been taking cuttings willy nilly to try and grow some on to put outside when it gets a bit warmer. And uh, they root. I mean, they almost root while you're watching them. <laughs> yeah, they're good, aren't they? They're, I mean, with that variegated pink one that's, that I've got, that Nanook, it was a it was expensive to find and buy, but you know, once you've got it, then you've got it and you can share it around and it's so easy. Shall I tell you one more or how are we, are we running out no, of time? We will have as many plants as you've got to show us. We uh, we want as much Matt Pottage plant porn as possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one I have, because it's special to me sentimentally. You realise, Matt, she just fed you the title of a new book. <laughs> Pottage Plant Porn. Oh, I like that. Pottage is Plant Porn. I'll pitch that to DK, see what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was young and I spent a lot of time with my grandma, who my love of plants came from, I used to always be in her greenhouse with her. And there was one cactus that used to really stand out to me that I just thought was absolutely astonishing. And um, anyway, that particular cactus and grandma are obviously no longer around, but I since found the cactus and I have it at work with me on the windowsill because it reminds me of her. And I don't have a lot of cactus. I'm more into succulents, really, but I find these really pretty. And it's ferrocactus, MRII, really pretty spine colour. Got a nice body, I like <laughs> grey turquoise colour. Nice and plumptious. It is. Aren't they pretty, those spines? Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I love the way that the, the new ones are almost a vibrant dark crimson. They and are. They gradually change colour as they get older and bigger and more dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I also like a cactus where you know where how to avoid the spines, if you know what I mean. When I was a youngster, we, I had, a, like most boys did, I started off with a collection of cacti. Um, and again, like you, it's my grandma that sort of inspired my love of horticulture. And we used to, she used to help me repot them. And she suddenly said to me, why are you struggling with gloves when you're repotting your cactus? And I said, why? What do you mean? And she said, well, we'll roll a newspaper up and into like a tube and then we'll bend it. We wrap it around the cactus. We give the newspaper a twist so it firmly holds the cactus. And then you tap the cactus out of its pot, holding it in this wrap of newspaper. And you don't get, you know, you don't get pierced. Brilliant. Good tip. Great yeah. tip. Great tip. Yeah. <laughs> and then you don't have to throw your gloves away afterwards because they're no, full of spines. You, that's, that's the other thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, the gloves will always forever have spines in them. I know, especially if it's a puntiers, those flipping bunny ear cactus. So they look so friendly and so fun. You sometimes see them in garden centres with like good for kids on the label. You think the last thing anyone needs near them, they, you never get with the spines out of your hands. They're hideous. The trouble is they've got a little hook tip, haven't they? That's it. That's it. Once yeah. they go in, you can't pull them out. No, hours yeah. of uh, swear words then follow when you sat with a pair of tweezers. 
<laughs> and you feel them, but you can't see them. I mean, I That's love a right. puntiers, but life's too short, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm too yeah. clumsy to have a puntiers. I, I, I don't really allow myself to have cacti because I literally just fall over all the time. I, bump <laughs> I, I would be, a te- I have one cactus. And then I have my Ripsalis because it's strokeable. So it looks like a cactus, but I, I can't hurt myself. I, there's a place in Norwich where there's a, a rather neglected old, it's on a on a pub, and I think it faces either west or south. There's a very old and decrepit looking window box with the most enormous puncture growing in it. And it's oh, been really? there years. Um, and I suspect because it's so dry, nobody looks after it very much, you know, and it's typical sort of cactus thing. It's very dry in the winter, so therefore it will, stay, it will take the cold, but, and it has a few yellow flowers on in the summer and some blobby old fruits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. Because I mean, apuntias are—they do have some cold hardiness merits. We have a few outside at, at Wisley, and yeah. if you can keep them dry, as you point out, they they will take quite a bit of cold. And yeah. I think they're great outdoors. I saw them growing in the, on the rockery in the Oxford Botanic Garden, and I thought, well, you can't get colder than that. Although, of course, yeah. Wisley can get quite cold, can't it? Yeah, flipping cold. And that's actually some of the, it might be the Cambridge clone. There's a Puntia cantabrigiensis, which yeah. is around a bit at both at Cambridge and Oxford. And we've got, we've got some here. And that's probably the, one of the toughest. Really yeah. good. Very yeah. good. And if it's outside, no one needs to really go anywhere near it. You just oh, throw a bit of gravel around it a couple of times a year or whatever and, and try and get exactly. bitter cress out with a pair of tweezers. Exactly. But... And if, it gets, if its pads get cracked and deformed, well, that's part of the character of the plant. Yeah, it is. Bizarrely, and I don't know if, you know, if many listeners grow up hunting outside, but the things that always go for them, despite how horrible they are to, to be on or touch, is slugs and snails. They yeah. always cause a mess. Because they're so slippery and they can weave their way between the spines, I guess. Yeah, I must be able to. Uh, and you think, what's earth been on this? And sure enough, it's like a snail damage. Yeah. <laughs> Have we exhausted your show and tell now? Well, well, no. But oh, I'll, brilliant. But, I mean, I don't know. I. <laughs> well, there's an enormous cheese plant in oh, here, yes. but like. I can't move that, of course. I do also have a very nice, but it's propped up against the window, a big aloe verigata. Oh! Can you see? Oh, we do. yes, that's wonderful. And I also have a nice, uh, can you see that? Oh! <laughs> the, the lycopodium, it's uh, known as a club moss. Lycopodium squarosum. You wow. see in a hanging pot there. Really, really cool thing. It grows in orchid bark. It's one of the tropical, I think it's quite a, a prehistoric kind of makeup, you know, a very early fern or moss relative. I might like that even more than the hare's foot. That is so weird and wonderful. It's so, it's really flexible to the touch. Uh, it looks really, like a really little alien or a long alien. I know. And the branches, you can see how they start. Then it divides into two, then it goes into two, then it goes into two. And then by the end, they're quite bushy. I think that's a very interesting plant. Yes. It's really, really cool, isn't it? It's another thing that always gets attention from people coming in for a meeting. They're like, what is that thing hanging down in that pod? <laughs> <laughs> is it alive? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Sorry, talk about plants only... with character. <laughs> I know, and I now just realised I'm in a very dangerous position. I've got those great big pine cones at my feet. I've got a cactus sat right next to my hot cross bun. I'm probably going to be bleeding within the next five minutes. Just uh, don't get the cactus and the hot cross bun confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be problematic. 
Well, I think you've left us with an absolute ton of Flomo. Uh, so, such exciting plants in your office. People must be desperate to come and uh, hang out in there. <laughs> <laughs> and the hot cross buns, obviously. Yes. <laughs> so Flomo, uh, it feels like an apt moment to move on to Flomo. I know that when I go through making the plant list for this episode, I'm going to be adding several of them into my actual official Flomo list, which is very long, much longer, thanks to this podcast. Flomo being that fear of missing out, you get about a flower or a plant. It is a year round trial I live through and I get a lot of it from your Instagram, Matt. I must say your your London courtyard is such an inspiration. I am desperately trying to make my shady patio better. And I've had a lot of help from Alan. He's been helping me out with ferns and things. Gave me a lovely Blecknam Chalency the other day, which nice. is going to go on my, my shady patio. But on that sort of note, I saw you post a photo of your patio, your courtyard area, with Pyrosia shearerai, which I may have said uh, wrong, yeah. which you said thrived in a shady corner and had these bronze felty undersides. So obviously one to try and plant or position where you can see the undersides of those ferny fronds, but seemed to be one you were very enthused about. I love it. The leaves are like cardboard on it. They're really, really strong architectural. And when they're young, they're, they're white under the in the sides and then they go to this bronzy colour and yeah it's very very uh, it almost looks a bit like a mini aspidestro you know they're quite big not very divided fronds and it's in a really dark dull corner on a windowsill on the outside of the windowsill and we can see it inside the house and it's yeah it's it's super then they're not an everyday thing but you can get them from any fern nursery or you know specialist grower it's really worth it and they're evergreen as well so you've got some winter interest too and it's obviously hardy in your courtyard but you're in london is it hardy elsewhere yeah well we've got it outside at wisley but it is by a wall but i mean it will get readily it'll get minus six minus seven here uh, if it has a very cold winter it will either lose its fronds altogether or if you get to about minus 10 i think it will die it's it's not bone hardy but if you've got it on a windowsill or you can bring it up against a wall for the yeah. winter I think you will be fine nine times out. On that note, Matt, you just sort of triggered something in my mind, and that is to think that in the last, well, probably 30 years, how much more interesting our gardens have become because of the plants that we can grow outside, which, as you say, are not necessarily bone hardy because we know what a bitch dame nature can be, and she can always throw something horrid at us. Yeah. Um, just to remind us who's in charge sometimes, I expect. Um, but, you know, just think how much more interesting our gardens have become. I mean, try to scant here outside. I would never have thought that it would come back in this garden 20 years ago. Um, mm. Today it does. It, it's fascinating, isn't it? I and mean, it's all due to climate change. Yeah, yeah. Such a wider palette, such a wider yeah. palette. And I think also sometimes you accept, OK, I might get 10 years out of it or 15 years or till the next bad winter but then that's also fine i'm happy that's value for money you know i paid mm. paid a tenner for it you exactly. know, there's, there's all manner of those cool variegated cordylines around and you think okay if we get another winter like 2010 maybe it will die but if i get you know a handful of years out of it fine, yeah you know i'm happy with that too so i, I planted cordyline charlie boy which you may or may not know it's very yeah. very it's very in very very pink it is shrieky <laughs> chaparelli pink. Um, but it's I love come, it. It's come through the last four or five winters here um, it, as easy as anything. And I mean, I know that in actual fact, it jars the eye. And so I've got to devise plantings that will go with it. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but I can't bring myself to remove it because, you know, it might remove itself due to the weather at some point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pleased to have it while I can. Yeah. And also, when I came over for Snowdrop Day and I was walking around the garden, you know, looking at all the snowdrops, you round a corner and suddenly you were face to face with Charlie Boy and uh, <laughs> suddenly thought, where are my sunglasses? But it was wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> nice. They are fun. There's been a lot of new cultivars of them around in the last few years. Yeah. Um, another flomo for my for me, which isn't a serious one, because I I wouldn't be able to to give it what it wants, but I've seen your enthusiasm your joy about your lapagaria rosea uh, yeah different time of year and i always think of alan when i uh whenever i think of that plant because i know you like it, alan and uh, and yeah. also when i went to chats with you like look out for the lapagaria <laughs> beautiful there's an elderly lady who lives not far from me and she has it on a north facing wall in on her house and she had over 60 flowers on it about three years ago because she sent me a picture of it uh, I have managed five on mine, but that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I've found it always a mission to keep it alive. I always found it's just something that wants to die for me. So to keep on for a few years now in a pot on a tripod and then to have it flowering, as you saw, because I, I don't know how many times I put it on Instagram, I was so obsessed with it. I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was so pleased. But there's just something, I don't know, it gets me with those long trumpety waxy they don't look real no they, they, they look completely artificial and if you've seen them growing in the in the conservatory at chatsworth i mean they grow them so well there i have to say mm. there's not a blemish on the leaf um they are fantastic yeah and you don't expect because if you see a lapageria out of flower i mean no one's going to stop and look at the leaves. These no. piddly little windy stems. And then you think, how on earth has that flower come from that miserable looking little thing? Well, where's the nourishment in that stem to produce that flower? I know. It, none of it makes sense. <laughs> and you see the little spindling and a huge great trumpet hanging off it. Mm. Uh, I just find it, I find them incredible and so beautiful. They remind me of the old fashioned Christmas lights we had when I was a child, actually. Yeah. Big yeah. old bulbs. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And I don't know, it's not an everyday plant and I don't think it ever will be because it's just so difficult to please. But it's, you know, everyone likes challenge, don't they? So yeah. it, well, I think makes... this is the thing. The more the more competent you become about gardening, the greater knowledge that you acquire you acquire, you therefore want to grow. I mean, I'm just looking at the list of plants I've written down that you've been talking about. Uh, and there's seven or eight here. Um, that not many people will be growing. Mm. Um, so I'm, Which is I'm so gonna exciting. Go, I'm going to tell you what my flymo, my flomo is now. <laughs> tell me what your flymo is. Yeah, what <laughs> my flymo is. I do my know your lawns at East Ruston. <laughs> my flomo for today is going to be everything that Matthew Potter showed and told. <laughs> tell me your, what's your favourite one of them all? I mean, I'm always interested to know what kind of catches people because you both seem to like that hare's foot fern, but then you like the club moss in the hanging basket. Well, I did. I like, I like the club moss in the hanging basket purely and simply because I've never seen anything like it. Um, I, I just thought that that was so interesting. And the fact that it is, it grows in orchid bark and it's either uh, sort of moss or fern or whatever it is, that intrigued me. But but for, I mean, for sheer glamour, for Lebodium, I mean, stood out head and shoulders above all else, apart from Sansevieria Vantels, is it? Sensation? That's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, this, the interesting thing is that anybody can grow 
bog standard ordinary house plants, but to actually grow the ones that you're, you've shown us today um, is just more than. Uh, Much good, more. good. Yeah. Man, I'm glad you like them. Because I was I, thinking, oh, am I going to have to have a run around the garden and collect a few things? And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll show you my houseplants, see what you think. But uh, they are a bit of an acquired taste. So I'm going to be trolling the internet all this afternoon, I think. <laughs> I always think it's unfair that we get a, a sort of head start on these things because we can go and look before everyone who watches and listens and then starts Googling. And uh, knowing Alan, they'll probably buy seven of them and that'll be all the stock. Yeah, that, that'd be them all. That like a podium, though, look it up because people grow them and post them on Instagram. My lycopodium like is, to be honest, pretty underwhelming compared to what some people have because they just get better and better. They send more stems, they get thicker and bushier, and they look, I mean, old plants look amazing. So look at, I think, you know, if you do hashtag lycopodium like on Instagram, I bet you will find other people's because they are absolutely, you know, breathtaking. They really are. Funnily enough, that was basically what I was going to do straight after the podcast. <laughs> And you're, then you'll probably think, oh, Max is actually quite underwhelming compared to these because mine's not very old. But uh, yeah, there's some amazing ones out there. I'm glad we've left your flow motor last, Matt, because um, I, I got a little, we both had a little sneaky preview at it. And I think this is a rather fun plant. So what is your flow mo, Matt? Well, it's something a friend sent me the other day that they'd seen. Well, it's in an orchid nursery. And it's well over a grand what pear plant, so I'm not going to be buying one anytime soon. But it's uh, it's this brownie green cymbidium, and it's variegated, of course. So it's got these whitey cream stripes of the leaves, this quite unusual flower shade. And I love cymbidiums, but what I don't like is all the foliage that you're staring at for 11 and a half months of the year, and then obviously it flowers and then those go. And, you know, they need quite a bit of space because they're big, they bulk up fast, and the leaves are huge. And I just, you know, there's nowhere where I have that volume of space that I'm willing to dedicate to a plant that flowers so little, unless it has interesting foliage. And this, this one, you know, I pinged you over that picture of it. It has really pretty leaves. So I would happily grow that if it was either in my price range or somebody wanted to donate me a piece <laughs> of their own. So and you don't see variegated orchids every day. I mean, I, I literally have a couple, but you don't come across them all the time and sometimes with or I, I like orchids as a plant group but i generally don't make space for them because i find you know when they're not in flower the foliage just doesn't do a lot for me so i was quite taken with it but i don't think it's actually got a name to it or it's not been named yet but it was something that i saw a couple of weeks ago i would like that in my life so some people would win the lottery and buy a sports car or a foreign holiday and you'd probably just go out and buy that cymbidium orchid <laughs> Yeah, probably so. That's, <laughs> that's me. You can imagine I'm a scream to live with. <laughs> I think we all are, to be honest, Matt. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming along. People need to, if they, if they don't feel like How to Garden When You Rent as a book uh, is going to be perfect for them, well, first of all, they're wrong. I think they, everyone should get it. But it's also, I think, a great gift if there are people in your life um, who are renting or are new to gardening, etc. Loads of great ideas and great plants in it. And I hope it sells like hotcakes or like hot cross buns. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for covering it. And thank you for inviting me back. It's been great fun, as I knew it would be. Please come back soon with even more wonderful plants for us to cover. <laughs> in the meantime, happy gardening, everybody. Happy gardening. <laughs> Don't even talk to you, Matt. Hey, 4 here. 
just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.